0: Prayers were answered. My Bible did make it back from Texas. <laughs> the uh, old cover had completely worn up and the duct tape wasn't holding anymore, and so, grateful to have that. Um, so, I got a question for you this morning no. To whom do you belong? Okay, to whom do you belong? That's a strange question for us, right? We Americans, we're fiercely independent, right? I'm my own man. I do it my own way. Well, kids, what do you say? When I grow up, I'm going to do it my way, right? Yes, you got to do it the Lord's way. And that's the whole sermon. We can sit down. <laughs> but our own nature and the culture around us, you know, values being your own person. You can't tell me what to do, I'm my own God, right? charge over my life and sometimes we all slip in that mindset right um sometimes more than others and so patrick gave away the punchline <laughs> it's okay you're fine the news is you were purchased you're not your own okay I'm going to tell you a parable. It won't be a perfect parable. I'm not the Lord. Um, And I made it up yesterday. So if there's any fault in it, it's mine. But hopefully, it'll make you think. There was a criminal who was caught red handed in all manner of crimes. Everybody knew it the cop, the judge, the people in the town. He had broken the laws of the kingdom, and there was no doubt. He was tried. He was convicted. He was guilty. Nobody doubted it. He was sentenced to death. And they took him up on the gallows with a hangman's noose and stood him right in front of it and put that noose around his neck. And right before the hangman pulled the switch, A crowd had gathered around, and one stepped out and said, Stop. The king sent me. He said, He desires this criminal. He's going to spare him, he will grant him his life. And he will travel to see the king, and the king's going to adopt him to be one of his sons and to be an heir to the kingdom. But, he continued, because our king is just and these crimes have been committed, he sent me to pay for those crimes. He was guilty. He was sentenced to death. And this one who stepped out of the crowd walks up onto the platform, steps the criminal back, and puts his head through the noose. And about that time, the crowd recognizes it's the prince, the king's son. The criminal is shocked. And the last words the prince said to him were, Go serve my father. And the hungman, the hangman, pulled the switch, and the prince died. The criminal is got mixtures of emotions, shock, joy to be alive, not understanding. Why would the king do that? Why would the prince agree to that? Why is he still alive? He should be dead. And he leaves. And he starts traveling to that castle. It's a long journey. And he doesn't understand. And along the way, a stranger joins him as he walks and begins to tell him about the king and how great he is. The criminal is looking down, and he's so discouraged, doesn't even look up to see who's talking to him. And they travel a long way. And eventually he looks up and he sees it's the prince walking with him every step until they go to meet the father at the castle. Now, this is not a very clever parable. Y'all know what I'm trying to express but I'm trying to put it in a little bit different context than what you normally think of it. Because guess what? Our hearts are hard to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But as shocking and wonderful and as terrible as it is to that criminal to have someone else pay the price for his sins, for his wrongful conduct that he should have died for, that's what Christ did for us. He stepped in to our place. We were condemned. The wages of one sin, just one, is death. Eternal death, eternal separation. And yet the Father sent His only Son to step in and to bear that sentence. And so that that piece of paper that said condemned, guilty, carry out the sentence of death after that prince was dead... The hangman could write on there. sentence paid in full. And that criminal would have that to carry with him the rest of his life. He was no longer paying for those sins they had been paid for in full. And what was the prince's wish as he's traveling along? He could have gone back to the woods, right? He could have gone back to being a robber and a thief and a murderer. They're right there along the way. But something's different about him now, right? Does he belong to himself? By his actions, he should be dead. By the actions of another, he's been given life and charged to go and serve the king. I don't know if that's helpful at all to you. And the story the real story is so much better and sweeter. But sometimes to think about it in just a little bit different angle to kind of knock off those blinders of I've heard this so many times. This is the magnitude of the love that Christ had for you and for me and for every single one of His children that He stepped in and paid the sentence that we should have borne. Okay, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Again, the question is, to whom do you belong? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to read a portion of 19 and 20. I'm going to jump into it without context, and we'll go back and get the context. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and it's the portion I one, and ye are not your own? For, here's the reason, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. To whom do you belong? You belong to God. He bought you with the blood of His Son, to redeem you from those, that, those gallows. He paid in exchange for His Son for you to be set free. He's bought you soul and body. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. And that's the Lord Jesus. Therefore, because of that, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. They belong to Him, body and spirit. So, what do we use both our natural body and our spirit for? things that glorify God. That's our reasonable service. So, let's zoom out a little bit and talk about the letter to the Corinthians, just so we don't jump into it in no context. Paul had been to Corinth. He had been there for a couple years. He taught a great deal. It's a very wealthy area. Um, And he's now writing, uh, this is probably the second epistle because he references an earlier one, Um, but that one wasn't included in Scripture. And so, this one we refer to as 1 Corinthians. He's writing, and they got some problems in that church. All right? Your first major issue is they've got somebody who's there among them who has taken his stepmama and is now his woman. That's a major problem. Right? And they hadn't dealt with it, which is the bigger problem for the church. It was a big, big deal for him individually, but it's a bigger deal that the church had not dealt with it. And so he gave them clear instructions that he needed to be put away now later in the second letter that man would be restored he had ceased the activity and had been humbled and repented of it and they were able to bring him back he said don't continue it any longer right and that was the purpose of putting away so that was one issue Uh, the next issue was that there was strife and divisions among them they had little cliques all right over here you got well we're, we're team paul paul came here first we like paul he paul's our leader you're, you're somebody else. You're saying it a little bit differently than Paul. We don't like you. Over here, here's team Apollos, right? He came after Paul. He was a young man. He was a fine speaker. Paul wasn't a real great speaker, right? They said he had eloquent letters, but in person, he was kind of yeah, you know. So if that ever gives me confidence about, I don't have to be the best speaker in the world. Look what Paul could do, right? But Apollos, he was a good speaker. But when he first met Priscilla and Aquila over in Eph- uh, Ephesus... He didn't know very much, right? He knew up to the baptism of John. He was preaching what he knew. But it took some church folks, some some members, a husband and wife, who came and pulled him aside and said, Apollos, here's the rest of the story. Here's the rest of it. And then he went over to Corinth and he was preaching it. So you had the folks over there say, oh, I really like Apollos. You had Team Apollos. And you got these guys over here say, well, that's stupid. You can't follow men. We like Team Christ. And so you had these different groups within the church. And Paul is, you know, afraid of saying, Christ is not divided. He's one, you know. Paul's nothing. Apollos is nothing. Christ is something, right? He's the one you follow, right? If if I plant and Apollos waters, nothing grows unless God's given the increase. So you had uh, issues of of fornication, and you had the issues of the division, and then you have a third issue within this church, and then that was some church folks had some issues with each other over some kind of dispute. This This is my stuff. This is my stuff. They're both arguing about it. And you know what they go do? Hey, go to court, sue each other, and that's how this chapter starts with Paul saying, "Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints?" He said, "How, how, how dare you do that?" And then he gives the reason that that's absolutely crazy. He says, "Don't you know that the saints are going to have a role at the end of the world, and this role is not greatly defined." And this is one of the few allusions to it, but the saints are going to have a role in judging the world and in judging angels, using discernment. What exactly that's going to look like? I don't know. But the idea here is that if we as children of God are going to have a role of discernment and judgment at the end where we're looking and discerning in angels in the world, then do we not have sense enough and wisdom enough from God to be able to settle small little matters between us. So if you're saying that's your cow and you're saying that's your cow, you should both be able to come here, present the evidence between your believer, brethren, and they should be able to pass judgment and side between- amongst yourselves and y'all should be okay with it. That's, that's the general gist. If you can do it on the big picture, if that's what the role that saints are given to, this is what it says in verse 2. I'm not making this up. Do you, know that, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world should be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters, right? These little stuff battles, they're small, right? It's a little, little deal. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? That's kind of shocking, right? You know, if anyone tells you the idea of someone's past, they're now an angel. No, we don't become angels, right? When Jesus was talking about being like angels or as angels, it's talking about that when we are dead, we no longer are married, and we don't get married. That piece of life is only limited to here. Angels don't do that. You go look at Jesus' words in context. But it never says that we change from being sons of God, children of God, to becoming angels. Angels are just servants, right? They're a lower tier. There are servants in the kingdom, but you're part of the family of God. And he adopted you into his family. You become his sons and daughters, okay? You don't take a lower tier down. So know you not that we shall judge angels how much more the things that pertain to this life. All right? So so what's an answer? If You've got these disputes. If then ye have judgments of the things pertaining to this life, so if you have a dispute within the church over these kind of matters, what do you do? Set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. All right? So if you have the most young or inexperienced novice person in business matters, he says that person is qualified to judge that matter okay? versus going out to the unjust. Okay? You're going to have a role that's much bigger than that at the end. Set those who are least esteemed. He says, I speak this to your shame. Say, is it so that there is not a wise man among you? This big old wealthy church. You don't have one wise man, wise man among you that could be able to diso- discern this matter? And again, this is not the, the gist of what I want to preach on today, but this is the context of how we're getting there. Um, you know? No, not one that should be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goeth to brother, goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Who are the judges? Who's the jury and all that? If you go out to the civil system, you're going out amongst unbelievers. He says, this is something you can handle internally. You have the capability, do it. All right? now, now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. All right? Again, he's saying that's not the way. So the simple answer is one, having it dwell within the church. He said, there's another answer. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Okay. It is better to take the loss than to fight about it with your brother. That's the real answer. We get very bent out of shape about wanting to be right. I want to have my rights. I want to have justice, whatever. Did Christ come so we could be right? Did Christ come so we could have justice? No. If we received justice, the just meats of our fruits, we'd be damned. We would be condemned to hell. And so if he freely gave of himself and gave us great grace, should we not also be very free from giving grace to others, even when they're in the wrong? Because were we in the right when Christ showed us grace? No. That's why it says, be ye kind, right boys? Tenderhearted, hearted forgiving one another, even as God hath forgiven us for Christ's sake, right? Yeah, that's why we're kind, Pay for kindergarten? Okay. Yeah, I know your book. We'll talk about it later. All right. So, if you have a dispute, you let those within the church resolve it rather than go into lawsuit. Better yet, just let it go. Suffer the loss. Um, Allow yourself to be defrauded. That's better. It says, but nay, you do wrong and defraud and that your brethren. So in those scenarios, one of the people is wrong. Right? One's right, one's wrong. So the person who is pushing that, is defrauding it, you're, you're ensuing an unjust action. That should never go on in the church. Right? Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. All right? That unrighteous, that literally translates to unjust. We right? don't want to have any actions that are unjust. He says, and he, he says, you need to know something. No, you not. You should understand this, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That is not the attributes of a child of God. That's not what you should be engaged in. What does Micah 6.8 say? Right? He has shown the old man what is good, and what doth the Lord require of you? That you should love mercy and do justly and walk humbly with thy that God. That's a good summary. Do justly as opposed to doing unjustly. Right? Shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That is not the pattern of uh, that we're given. That's not how we're going to govern our own life with unrighteousness. All right? Be not deceived. Alright? Why is he saying be not deceived? Because there are those who are going to try to tell you that this long list of actions that you can do those and still have a good walk with the Lord. You can't. This will, this will tear up your walk. This is as you're being that criminal and you're walking back to the celestial city or whatever. You know, that's kind of getting into pilgrim's in progress. You're walking in that city. This is running off into that woods and chasing that lifestyle before. That doesn't please your Lord, and, and, it, and it never will. And so we need to be clear about that. Okay? Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators. All right, let's talk about some definitions. Fornicators, that Greek word is Pornos what we get the word porn from. It involves the buying and selling of sexual activities. Whether you're a pimp or a prostitute or you're looking at it online, that's what pornois is. It's a broad word. It refers to any form of sexual impropriety, immorality. All right? The only clean and pure form of that is within the marriage, between the husband and wife. That's it. Not premarital sex, not adultery. Adultery, we'll talk about that in different. It's a little bit different because there's a second element of breach in that. Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters. All right, idolatry, that is image worship, literally. All right, so we may think, well, I don't bow down to a statue. Okay, that's good. Do you worship sports stars? Do you worship politicians? They've got whole people who talk about keeping their image up. Do you worship your own image, your own self? (laughs) Do you worship things? I've got this job, and this is what gives me value. I've got this car, and this makes me look special. I've got whatever. Stuff, things, people. Anything that you put in front of God, that's your idol. That's idol worship. That's something that we have to constantly tear down and not be content that we're in the right. Don't justify yourself. And that's the real problem, is that as a child of God, if you get into these actions, it's not saying that you're no longer a child of God. But when you harden your heart and you think that I'm justified in doing this, you've been led astray. Don't be deceived, all right? So not fornicators, not idolaters, neither adulterers, all right? Adulterers is... Fornication is any category of sexual sin, all right? Very broad. Adultery adds a layer onto that. It is also fornication, but you are now violating the covenant of marriage, whether it's your own marriage or whoever you're engaging in, all right? That is... It is like going into somebody's house and knocking down... all their stuff and raging their pantries and just just complete violation of that space right your your house you don't want you ever been in a house after somebody's burglarized it it feels violated it feels like something wrong has gone on here well that's the idea that's gone on within a marriage When adultery that has gone on there's been uh, an abuse and a violation that that, that, that changes things alright so that's fornication and then on top of that you've got also the adultery that's these are not things that we can be content with alright nor Effeminate. All right? This is much more relevant than you'd think. Um, well, no, you, you know it's relevant, but people think that we have new problems today. You go read, what Was the Song of Solomon? There's nothing new under the sun. All the sins that are being committed today, they may have new names, but they've been going on since the fall, all right? Effeminate is when a man tries to be a woman, all right? When he tries to change, whether that's cross-dressing or changing, just... That's the idea, is that you are trying to change what God made you into something else. Do you know what that's saying? God, you did it wrong. I don't trust you that you made me right. Okay? So you have all these people today who are very confused about who they are because they think they're their own God. And they can make the decisions about who they are rather than trusting the creator that made them, that he knew what he was doing. All right? nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind literally this is compound word between male and uh, couches or bedding this is this is sodomy this is having homosexual relations all right sexual relations this is these are not activities that are ever going to please god don't be deceived okay i'm not going to rail and harp on any of these but i'm going to teach you this is what the word says it's, the verse continues, nor thieves, all right? Whether you're stealing that by force or by deception, all right? Nor covetousness, all right? To envy, to be jealous, to desire stuff, all right? If you're desiring stuff so much that you're going to go and take it either by force or it's just it's just burning you up, guess what? That's your idol. And most of these things could be retitled as idolatry, but it's giving a very specific uh, list of them nor covetous, nor drunkards. Drinking to excess, using drugs to excess, right? Ephesians says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Ghost, right? There's a difference, right? These are not things that you who have been born again and changed can continue to engage in without there being a great cost to your life. To your, I mean, sometimes the consequences of this is that you may die from these. If you're a child of God, that does not make you no longer a child of God. But he'll chasing us. He'll, he'll, he will get our attention. But these are not things that we can dwell in and think that this is okay. It's not. All right? Nor revilers. Um, a reviler is one who is either uh, verbally or physically abusive. All right? One who is uh, hurting others and cruel, vindictive. Nor revilers. Nor extortioners. Um, those are one who... Um, all right. The difference between getting a car loan from a bank, you might have a 5% interest rate, you go to a loan shark and you get a 500% interest rate that's due every month, right? That's extortion, right? The one who's so greedy and covetous that you're, you're loaning out money, but you're doing it at a rate that's just just pounding people over the head. That's, that's extortion. Um, another concept of that is uh, I get some dirt on you, you're politicians, and I send you a little note say, I won't tell anybody about this if you pay me $100,000, right? They respond, this is Extortion. Yes, it is. It's taking that which is evil in order to make money. All right? None of these things are consistent with how we need to live our life. Right? And listen to this beautiful verse in verse 11. None of those things, a or resource, shall inherit the kingdom of God. All right? Verse 11. And such were some of you. Okay? In some way, shape, or form, we've all committed something on that list. If not all of them, even if it's just in our heart. If we're looking at pornography and lusting after woman, Jesus said that that is the same as committing adultery with her in person. You sin in your heart. Right? When you hate your brother without a cause, that's the same as committing murder in your heart. Right? So none of us are any better than any others. And that's the beauty of it. And such were some of you. Lay those things down. But what's the difference? What's the word? What's different now? But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. When you were born again, the Holy Spirit comes into you and gives you new life. And in the name of Jesus and by the work that He performed on the cross, He gives you new life And he lets you know that you are washed. You're washed clean. We talked about that going to the Lord in prayer and having those new clothes. He's letting you know you are clean. You are justified. You are declared just. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ did. That guilty verdict and that sentence for death that was stamped there has now been stamped paid in full. Paid by another, right? You're declared just. You are declared to be adopted into the family of the king. All right, you're washed, you're sanctified, sanctified. You are set apart as holy. You have been made holy. By your own conduct? No. no. Why do we try to live a holy life out? Because He has set us apart for a holy purpose. right? We've got our, our communion buckets back there, right? We've got communion written on it. right? If we mop out of those, kind of feels a little me, right? It's not a big deal in that context, but just kind of the idea of that if you set something aside for a whole purpose, a particular purpose, and then you use it for something gross or vile, it should make you uncomfortable, right? Let's take it a, a cup further. Let's, let's say you know, I've got a, a chalice, and, and we, we, will, we have the communion wine in that, okay? And let's say you take that to go stoop, scoop toilet water out. You going to want to use that anytime soon? No, it's something that was set apart as holy and yet has been used for something vile. You're really defeating the purpose, right? That's what happens when we get off the path of the Lord and we start doing those things that we were doing before, right? It's problematic. It's not, it's not free. It's not clear. It's, it's, there's, there's consequences um, for it, and it's, it's, it can be quite painful. But the good news is that the Lord doesn't leave you. He doesn't change you. He says, nope, you've had one too many. I'm done with you. His love is eternal. When did the Father start loving you? Before the foundation of the world, right? He chose you. He gave you to His Son. And his Son agreed that I'm going to pay for these. These who are going to be doomed to die, I'm going to pay for every single one of them. And I'm going to prepare a place for them in heaven. And they're going to be with me there. Does His love ever change throughout that? No. Parents, does your love change for your children when they make mistakes? I'm not saying, did you get annoyed? Yeah, we get annoyed, but we're human parents. But our love doesn't change. They're still our child. The mistake does not make them any less of our child than before. And I try to teach my children that, that yes, you made a mistake, but I still love you, and I will always love you. And no matter what, I'll always be your father, and you'll always be my son. And our father says that to us over and over and over and over again as he chastens us and teaches us so that we get reminded of the right way. All right, verse 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All right, there is a concept throughout many of the uh, New Testament churches where people would try to come in and say, Jesus is great. But you've got to keep the Old Testament law, too. Whether that's being circumcised or dietary restrictions on the certain things or the clothing you could wear, you have to do that, too. Let me tell you, that's not true. Okay? Jesus is enough. All right? So, for an example, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. Under the Old Testament law, were you allowed to eat pigs? Swine? No. Go look at Leviticus eleven seven, 7, and it'll say, You cannot eat swine. Again, you know, who's the audience? It's addressed to the natural Jews, the house of Israel. You are not permitted to eat swine, nor can you touch their dead bodies. They're gross. Now, you, born again, child of God, Gentile, who are not under the Old Testament law, can you eat pig? Yes. Yes. Is bacon good? Yes. Yes. While lawful, is it always expedient? If you and I eat bacon for breakfast, lunch... On our donuts, on our hamburgers, on our on our pizzas, with our ice cream, and we have it every meal. Is that good for us? No. Expedient means to be better for it. Alright? So while it's lawful, we still have to use discernment, wisdom, and judgment. And you say, oh, that's a silly example. I know, but you might remember that one, right? We have to decide: is this good for me? For body and soul right they're both gods okay? what's another example Old Testament was it lawful for the Jews to get tattoos it wasn't right they were not allowed to cut themselves for the dead which was a custom among the uh, other folks and they also weren't allowed to put markings on their body okay are we under the Old Testament law we're not is it a sin for you to have a tattoo no now am I saying you have to like tattoos No. Am I saying you have to dislike tattoos? But I want us to be careful that we don't cherry-pick pieces of, I don't like that, and I can find a scripture in the Old Testament that says it isn't good, and then berate people about it, right? That's a danger. Is it always expedient? Your opinions of that which is cool and profitable will be very different when you're 70 than when you're 20, right? And that which looks so great when your skin was all taunt might look a little funky when things are kind of wiggly, right? Or something that you are putting on your body that you cared about then you may not care about now. It's a very permanent thing. So is all everything expedient? No, you may not be better for it. Um, you know, some folks would ask about what about putting scripture verses on. Them? I'm not going to. If you decide to, okay. But let me challenge you this: Is it better to do that or to live out that scripture verse? Y'all ever seen a Christian bumper sticker? and you've seen somebody driving and they ain't acting right, <laughs> right? The the hypocrisy just kind of bleeds through. So I think better than being the billboard on it, strive to live it out. We won't do it perfectly. And so, you know, is that hard for some folks to hear? I know some of you have tattoos. I'm not going to berate you over it. Am I going to get one? Probably not. But this is the discernment. All things that are lawful to me, not all things are expedient. This is part of us growing up and maturing is that we have to make these decisions with wisdom and discretion, okay? All right. Um, all things are lawful for me, um, but here's another couplet. So first couple, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. I'm not better for all, doing all things. All things are lawful for me, but I am I will not be brought under the power of any. Okay, what does that mean? So though it may be lawful or not inherently a sin there are things you can engage in that will bring you under their power. Drugs. Alcohol. Tobacco. Porn. I mean, addiction in general, we use that term as if it's a sickness. It's not a sickness. It is a voluntary submission to sin. When every sin, Scripture says that God gives us an escape. Okay, We, as a born-again child of God, have the ability... To walk away from each one. Will you every time? No. But do you have the ability? Yes. Yes. Okay. Can you set yourself up for failure in those things? Yes. Putting yourself in positions where things that you know you struggle with are easily available. Or, um, anyway, y'all know enough about what I'm I'm saying. Just because it's lawful, is is it a problem? If you have a glass of wine, I don't have a problem with it. Because I don't have a scripture that says it's a problem, right? Paul told Timothy, take a little wine for his stomach's sake. Okay. If you have a glass of wine every night because you're struggling with something and that's your escape, that's a problem, right? It's not expedient, and if it becomes a crutch for you, then it becomes something that you're allowing to have power over your life, right? You say, oh, well, those are kind of the big things, you know, the vice things. How about the ones we don't think about as vice? How about my coffee? Before we went on the D.C. trip, if I didn't have three or four cups of coffee, you know what happened to my head? It would hurt because I would allowed that to have control over me, to have power over me. Now, because of the way the D.C. trip worked out, I was only getting about one cup of coffee a day just because there wasn't time or whatever. And you know what? My head doesn't hurt. So I'm going to try and limit myself to a cup or two a day, not three, four, five, or six, or just because I was bored, bored and I wanted to stand up. All right? Same thing with sugar. I mean, the idea is that our body belongs to the Lord, and so I should use it in a way that treats it well, so I am ready to be about His service, not as my plaything. Right. You ever heard the term hedonism? Hedon is a Greek word it means pleasure. A hedonist is one who seeks pleasure all the time. We live in a culture that promotes hedonism anything you see on tv that's an ad it is appealing to your natural hedonist that's what your natural self is i want that oh it'll make me pretty it'll make me smart it'll make me whatever all Right? hedonism is a pursuit of pleasure that's pursuing the lust of the flesh when we talk about not going against or going against the 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 push of the world not being conformed to it that's the idea that we're all having to struggle against all right all things may be lawful, but I will not be under, brought into the power of any. Meats for the belly, belly for the meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Alright? Did the Lord create your body for you to have a sexual plaything? He created your body to be in His service. Alright? And the God... And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by His own body. Alright? This is your body. At the resurrection, this body will be changed, but it is still your body. Okay? You're not going to get a new one to change. So if this is the body that the Lord has given you, and this is the body that though changed will be with you for eternity, and it's going to be raised up, should you use the Lord's property in a way that brings him shame? Say the question of it, generally. Who do you belong to? God. <laughs> <laughs> you belong to God. Mind, soul, and body, right? And the Lord hath both raised, uh, the God hath also raised up the Lord. He has already raised up Jesus, right? Bodily. He's raised up. And he's going to raise up our bodies by his own power, right? Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ, right? And so this is one of those mysteries that we have a close union with the Lord. So close that it describes us as being like his limbs, right? It does not mean that we're full of his power or anything, but that's how intimately we have been purchased to him. I mean, the church is described as the bride of Christ, Right? (laughs) The husband and the wife who come together, they become one unit. You are now a part of Christ, if that makes sense. The members of Christ. And so you don't take those members and join them to a member of a harlot. God forbid. That's the idea of not engaging in that conduct because it affects your Lord, right? What? Know you not that that which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, he saith, shall be one flesh. For he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Right? When you're born again, you become in one spirit with the Lord. It's like that marriage. You've got two people who were two are now one unit. That's the idea. If You are now one with the Lord. And so the things that you do, though they can, you say, well, it doesn't harm anybody. It's just me. It does harm somebody. Right? You are your master's is yours, right? He is You are his, all right? So therefore we flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. So every other sin you do is outside of your body. But when you commit fornication, uh, he that's committed fornication sinneth against his own body, all right? And in that, the Lord's as well, okay? Which brings you to verse 19. It says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. Okay? What does it mean to be the temple of the Holy Ghost? I want to give you an illustration. Go back to um, the Old Testament right after they finished the tabernacle. 1 Kings. 1 Kings 8, 10 and 11. They finished the tabernacle. The priest that came to pass or came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. That's your visual image to hold on to. If you you have been made to be the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit, it's like completely filling you, all right? To be filled with the Lord. It's the same thing happens later when the, uh, the Solomon's temple was completed. Um, maybe I went to the wrong one. That was 1 Kings 8, 10, and 11 that they couldn't see, and it was back in uh, Exodus 40 and 35. Same thing happened. with The temple was filled with this cloud. as the cloud of the glory of the Lord, all right? So if your body is the temple of the Lord, that's what fills you. That's the visual of that I am here and the Lord is with me and I am about His service. The the Jews would have a word for that called the Shekinah glory. That word Shekinah doesn't appear in Scripture, but what it means is He caused to dwell. Okay? The Lord causes Himself to dwell within you. You're His chosen vessel. Right? He has chosen to have you in His service. right? To be His child alright let's go back Um, so we've got those two images of the temple being completed and being filled with the the Holy Ghost or that cloud and then our bodies are being described as that temple what? know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which you have of God how did the Holy Ghost get there? It's because you asked for it? because you willed it? no God put it there on his own alright and ye are not your own For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Alright? Knowing all this is why we do what we do. Striving to serve Him, striving to please Him. We're not trying to earn our way to heaven. Can't do that, right? But in recognition of what He's already done and what He's changed us to. He's changed us into a new creature, filled us with His Holy Spirit, and now we are given the opportunity to go forth in this life, serving Him as long as He gives us breath. And when He takes away that breath, we're going to drop. And we'll be with Him. All right? You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. All right? How can you glorify God in your body? One, recognize that it's His. And like when you borrow somebody else's tools, you take care of it. All right? If I borrowed, you know, Brother Dean's. Uh, power saw. Would he be real pleased with me if I left it out in the yard, let it get rained on, let the kids use it as a home plate for baseball and um, filled it up with sand? You're like, no, right? That's his tool. You got to take care of it, right? Well, if your body is a tool that belongs to the Lord, take care of it, Alright? Eat right. Get enough rest. Don't consume things that are harmful to your body. I mean, this is the, you say, well, you're not a Dr. Jonathan no I'm not and I'm going to tell you what that looks like for you you've got to use wisdom and discretion I'm telling you that you have an obligation to take care of the body that you've been given that belongs to Christ okay your natural body and not only that you've got to do it use it for things that glorify God alright if you're using it for your own pleasures um, it's, it's a sorry use of it okay it's below the value Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. All right, so He blo- He got the whole thing, right? What do you focus on? What is your What is your mind engaged in? What are you putting into your mind? All right, the things that we see and read, they affect our our internal health just as much as the garbage that we could be physically eating, all right? And then what do we use it for? And I don't have an exhaustive list for you, but I just want to introduce the concept to you today is that you're not your own, all right? And so if you ever uh, get discouraged and you think about um, wanting to escape, uh, when I was a young man, I had suicidal thoughts, okay? But let me tell you, this body is not mine. I don't have the right to damage what he has made and given me for his purposes, right? Not to harm it intentionally and not to take my own life. He's bought me. I belong to him and I'm going to use this body as long as he requires me to be here. All right? Paul said to, to live as Christ. You have an opportunity to serve him every day. You've been given one more day. Use that day. Tomorrow's not promised. Right? We've got one more opportunity to serve him, glorify him, to learn of him, to show his love. And then to die? That's game, but that's on his terms. He gave that life and he can take it in his good time. To whom do you belong? Patrick? To whom do we belong? God. The Lord. That's right. Thank y'all for time and attention.